I was searching in a writing by Dogen called the Zui Monkey. It's a, well, some people, I mean, it, it's, some people consider it a, a part of the Shobogenzo, some people don't. It's a, what you might call in Catholic terms, like I was raised Catholic, so we're accustomed to apocryphal books of the Bible. This is kind of something, the Zen equivalent of that, one of, one of many. But these are, these are uh, essentially short, really brief kind of teachings of Dogen that were overheard and recorded by Ajo, his uh, first Shuso at a Heiji. And uh, he often, in Juimonki, Dogen often speaks to Ajo. He'll say, so Ajo, you know, and this is actually what I was looking for. I was looking for a quote where Dogen turns to Ajo and say, when he appoints him Shuso, he turns to him and he says, now, Ajo, don't worry about the size of the Sangha. You know, five or six deeply practicing the Dharma. That's good. You know, that's what they call the flourishing of the monasteries. So I, I love that quote and I was looking for it. But instead, I ran across, of course, a story in Juimonki that I really deeply needed. And so that's what I'm going to talk about tonight. And uh, so it's book one of the Zhuimonki and uh, book one, chapter 15. So, you know, the Zen stories where people cut off their body parts and, you know, like Weka, who was the second ancestor of Zen, who, uh, the heir of Bodhidharma, who really had been a seeker his whole life. And he was it really in sort of middle age. He was 35 or something. And at that time, that was, you know, middle age. He had been wandering all over China trying to find a teacher. And he found Bodhidharma in his cave. And he observed him. And he decided, yes, I want to study with him. So he asked. And Bodhidharma said no. And so Weka stood outside Bodhidharma's cave for who knows, and and went and asked again. Bodhidharma said no. So Wicca went back out and stood outside Bodhidharma's cave and ultimately got the bright idea to cut his arm off. That's the story. He cut his arm off. He took his Bodhidharma. And Bodhidharma said, well, okay, <laughs> if you insist. And, and he studied with him and was ultimately his Dharma heir. And the, and so Dogen says, it is rather easy to lay down one's life and cut off one's flesh, hands, or feet in an emotional outburst. So I think that's true. Um, easy to do something in high emotion. He says, considering worldly affairs, we see many people do such things, even for the sake of attachment to fame and personal profit. So being hijacked by emotion and doing something extreme isn't really very hard, even though it sounds extreme. And sometimes I think in the Zen stories, when, when these, this was an oral tradition, things weren't written, um, those kinds of stories were memorable. <laughs> and so probably got repeated and, you know, were teaching, became uh, important teaching. So here's Dogen. It is rather easy to lay down one's life and cut off one's flesh, hands, 
or feet in an emotional outburst. And he says, yet it is most difficult to harmonize the mind, meeting various things and situations moment by moment. A student of the way must cool his mind as if he were giving up his life and consider it and consider if what he is about to say or do is in accordance with reality or not. If it is, he should say or do it. So I love at the end how Dogen takes the positive. He doesn't say, so if they aren't in accord, you shouldn't do them. He says, if it's in accord, he should do them. So, but there's a test in there. It's difficult to harmonize the mind, meeting various things and situations as they are, in other words. What we tend to do, as you probably know if you've been practicing a while, is we tend to encounter uh, what we experience and our brains search back in the file cabinet and see what's in there that relates. And then they whip it forward and this becomes this, except you notice that this is blocking my vision. (laughs) So we don't see this. We see basically our past experience, our past conditioning over and over again. And so a student of the way must cool that tendency, must notice that tendency. Uh, I heard this summarized extremely well by Vicki Austin in one short sentence. And that's part of what Vicki does beautifully. And she said, here's the summary. Let go or be dragged. Let it go, whatever it is, my preference, my idea, my thought that I think is so darn interesting. I've been on it all day or my plan or my mad or glad. Let it go or be dragged. So that, that, those are the choices. There's kind of nothing. <laughs> the human has little in between except, um, except what Dogen says here, which is to cool his mind as if he were cool, cool the mind as if giving up one's life, which seems paradoxical. Usually we, you know, what we give up our life for is something we're passionate about. And so I guess that's what he's saying. We should be passionate about cooling the mind. So it's, let, let go or be dragged. How do you cool the mind? Consider if what, what you're about to say or do is in accordance with reality or not. That's simple, right? So what is this reality? That's the question that comes up. So, you know, there are so many ways, so many slants on this question so many ways to think about reality greater minds than mine have devoted their lives to the question so i'm not going to try to plumb that depth but in preparing and and sitting with this whole this whole um doing this difficult thing of cooling the mind letting go we could say I, I thought about this question, reality, and I decided for now, I'm going to call it the unhidden nature of truth. 
the unhidden nature, which for me is the whole nature of what is seen or experienced. And yes, I, like everyone, has the human tendency to cut that off with this filing cabinet that's very limited. And so I can know that and uh, and sort of work within what is, what it, it, we know it's unhidden, it's all unhidden. And yet we fail to see, we are unable to see in a sense. So what is it we don't see often? And this to me is what I mean by the unhidden nature of truth. It's essentially right view in summary, right view, non-duality, uh, that, you know, what seem opposites are not, that they're not two. And uh, we don't have to describe the world as this or that, uh, you or me. Um, uh, it is this or it is that. We don't have to rat hole things, you know, a tree is a tree. Oh, my goodness. If you've experienced a tree, you know that that word is so tiny. For it, 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 it leaves a lot there, uh, uh, unknown. What is that unhidden nature of truth that isn't in the word tree, or the idea that comes up in my mind when you say tree or someone says tree? So. That's the non-dual nature of reality. It's not this or that. And also the second piece of that for me would be the fact of emptiness or uh, no own being. Um, that we exist because, you know, we're all here because each of us is present just as we are. That's why this is happening and we're all here. And the most most profound teaching I have heard on that topic is Steve Stuckey, who was the abbot, uh, central abbot of San Francisco Zen Center when he died unexpectedly and suddenly of um, of a pancreatic cancer. He he uh, said when he was about two weeks before he died, he was unable to get to San Francisco Zen Center to attend a board meeting. And in his entire like eight years as Abbott, he had never missed one. He was like the meeting guy. That's what they called him. And um, so he got uh, got on Zoom and he was very weak. And he he said to the group of priests and, and uh, the board gathered there. I think they're not all, uh, don't all live there and so on. But anyway, this auspicious group of people, he said, uh, you know, I thought I was the meeting guy. I thought I was the guy who never missed anything. Little solid thing he thought of himself. Said, now I see. Uh, two weeks before I'm going to die here, you know, or very shortly I'm going to die. He said, now I see. It was all causes and conditions. <laughs> it was all, it was never own being. That Steve on his own. I mean, he was beautiful, strong guy, but it was never Steve on his own getting to everything and able to be at everything. It was all the causes and conditions that supported him. And when they were all gone, he couldn't 
couldn't be there. He wasn't the meeting guy. He wasn't the guy who never missed anything. And so how beautiful that he would just knew that he didn't have to have all this angst. And you know, he said, oh, OK, I guess that's not true. So uh, now here I am. How can I best presence myself as I am? And that's what we do. That's how we practice. So so that's Steve, not only in a moment of total realization of of uh the unhidden nature of truth, the whole truth, not just the part he liked, which was that he was the meeting guy who could always show up, right? But realizing that and um, and and just dropping, just letting go. Okay, it's not that. Now where am? Where is this? Which I totally ha- no don't know, and and now need to learn. So there's like. I have come to this this uh, thought through this study that there are really two foundations or two things that make it possible for us to see reality. This is my reductive uh, analysis <laughs> of, of of sort of what what Dogen what what this what this requires. The first I've already talked about, really, which is to drop self-clinging. You know, we chant about about uh, self-clinging, and self-clinging is is like you know walking around saying I'm the guy who's, who always shows up, and then when I can't show up, I'm destroyed, I'm devastated. Who am I? You know, that's not what Steve did because he had deep abiding practice. <laughs> And under and held right view. He lived by right view, so it it, it 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 was a certain angst, but it passed through him as all things do, and he met the moment as it was, and I find that very profound. So to drop self clinging, and my teacher Darlene Cohen would say, put this in another framework. She would say. You have to climb over the mountain of preference to see clearly, to see what is. So it's like this mountain and, and we built it, right? It started really pre-verbal. It started really, really, you know, you can partly blame like mom and dad and, you know, the whole karmic stream contributes to this, you, you, you know, again. We we get to take a certain comfort here in uh you know, this no own being thing that that is not you can't say it's me, but it's us. It's the whole thing. So that you know so that we I could almost define Beata as the mountain of preferences that I exhibit every day in my life. And people would describe me that way. Oh yeah, Beata. She likes red. She comes in at eight. You know, whatever, whatever they see as my patterns of of being, that's Beata, and I agree with that. I think that's right, and she's important doing those things. I don't, I don't take away from Beata. I need her. Darlene would say, when you're crossing the street, you know, you should you should have her there. You could look left and look right and and cross at the right time. But other than that, <laughs> she said, she's just preferences. So 
let her be over there and 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 you this this sort of clear clearer seeing one uh can encounter sort of the 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 arising of of experience so i don't know that i never i never kind of i'm not there <laughs> uh but i i think that that if we're to see what is unhidden uh our true nature our non-duality the truth of ourselves and of all existence i think we have to be willing to do that and, and so willing that it's it's like dogen says as if we were giving up our lives and sometimes it can feel like that i mean sometimes an opinion be it just an opinion is so strong and it can be an opinion about myself and sometimes they are they are opinions i learned from when i was very young that people put in me actually but for you know i'm not saying i'm not responsible for them but i'm saying i didn't build, put the building blocks there so when they arise sometimes i really in some way have learned to loop into them as a source of almost familiarity or comfort, but it's extremely painful. It can be self-loathing or, or you know, very, very painful things. Even depression sometimes gets me that way. So very, can be very deep things that can really take me for a little while uh, because of my conditioning. So understanding that and seeing those as for as they are, which is one sort of slice of the pie of what is and then knowing because of my practice and and oh my goodness I'm so grateful for my practice knowing that there's this too that it's not hidden but I'm not seeing it <laughs> I'm not able to see it right now like the sun hidden behind the clouds so what's hidden um what is this really so cool your mind as if you were giving up your life and at, by asking is what I'm about to say or do in accord with reality. Is it whole? Does it include the unhidden? Does it include the other, the whole? In other words, when I say unhidden, I just mean whole. Does it include the other? Is it, is it uh, in accord with my true nature? In other words, with the fact of impermanence? that everything changes, that everything is vulnerable, that fragile, that things are tender, that they are all as sensitive as I am. You know, they're all as sensitive as Beata is, believe it or not. I mean, I, I forget that sometimes, whether it be my dog or my plant or another person, I sometimes forget. Oh, they're as sensitive as, as Beata is, as I am. So, be careful, take care, right? So is it in line with the true nature of our being? Um, and, 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 and is it, is it, uh, is it, uh, is it true? In other words, is it uh, non-dual? Is it acknowledging the non-duality, the non-dual nature of all being, uh, all existence? That to me is reality. So it's pretty simple. Just, you know, is what you're about to say or do in accordance with reality? I don't think it's very simple. 
It's very, very, it's so simple to write here. Dogen is so amazing. He can capture in one sentence or two sentences a whole lifelong practice of, uh, of presence. So I said two foundations, I'll finish quickly. One, uh, the other, is, one is to drop self-clinging, the other is uh, to develop a, a tremendous capacity for vulnerability in order to see what is. So uh, thank you very much for being here this evening and uh, I hope there are questions and comments I'd love to interact with you. Things are numberless. I, I was Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it.